you're listening to this Choir Nerd Podcast, where I blabber on about music things, mostly. I'm your host, Mark Davin. Hello, hello. How do you like the new music? It feels like a good mixture of casual, hokey, and strange. It made me laugh hysterically the first time I heard it, so I think I'll stick with it for a little while. If you listened to the first episode, then welcome back. I know it was a nail-biter of excitement, and you just need more. If so, you've come to the right place. For those that didn't catch the first episode, no worries. Uh, This one doesn't require you to listen to that. First, a little bit of current events. This election cannot be over soon enough. The intellectually dishonest clickbait, tribal behavior is seriously getting out of control. As I was brainstorming for this episode, at a bar of course, I had the pleasure of talking with a self-proclaimed Bernie bro. I know I'm already admitting my support for Hillary here, but the important part of this exchange was that it reminded me how much better it is to talk about tough stuff like politics face-to-face. There is a natural, healthy inclination to remain respectful when in the presence of a fellow breathing human being. It is the best forum for fostering tolerance for opposing views, unlike on Facebook, where we can cower behind our keyboards and type angrily at our evil, often misunderstood opponent. This is perhaps the worst part of our digital future. Also, the terrorist attacks in Brussels, Pakistan, and in other places just in the last several weeks has left me speechless. It feels like cranking out another episode without mentioning it would be insensitive. I do hope we can find a way to end this cycle of terrorism. It feels shocking and helpless to live in a world where this happens regularly. I can't imagine what the victims are going through. I went through all the motions getting my podcast out, spamming Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, my blog, and I'm happy with the interest and feedback I've received. I'm always interested to hear what you think about all of this, so please feel encouraged to drop me a comment. Of course my first try at this couldn't come off without a hitch. The first was poking fun at cummerbunds, when apparently they're actually called cummerbunds. No B. Another source of confusion is the definition of a podcast. Is a podcast defined as one episode or multiple episodes? It feels more elegant to think of a podcast as a collection of episodes, but I'm not sure what's the right answer here. Maybe someone can enlighten me. Okay, on to the main course. I'm on a mission to persuade more people to start professional choral groups. I think paying singers is the future, and it's a good thing. I hope by the end of this, those that are considering taking such a risk do so. It's the perfect time. We've got a ton of good singers and not very many paid groups. Seattle is no stranger to choral groups. There are hundreds of choirs in the Puget Sound area doing all sorts of music. 
these choirs fall mostly under two categories, one that pays their singers and ones that don't, or community choirs and professional choirs. I used to use the word amateur instead of community, but I'm realizing now that it sounds a bit derogatory. For the record, there is nothing wrong with not paying singers. Choirs sometimes function as educational activities, where singers, in some cases, pay to be part of it. That's great. It's like being in college and paying tuition to improve on a particular skill. There are enormous benefits to be able to pay singers to sing for your choir. You immediately gain access to more singers. I know it's a pretty simple concept, but it's the most important one. Who you have singing has the biggest impact on the quality of performances. Like how a football team scouts for the best players in the combine, choirs that can pay can scout precisely the voices they want. In this world, we are competing for people's time, and offering money for that gets you those people. Singers prioritize paid gigs for good reason. Paying gigs allow them to continue singing, something that most of them love doing. Money allows them to dedicate time to learning their music more easily. In addition to that, there is more at stake. Come to a rehearsal and suck. The director may try another singer for the next program. It becomes a job, a job that they would like to keep. Some singers may say, well, hey, I don't need to get paid. I do this because I love it. Many of us have been there. I wasn't paid for my work with the Renaissance singers, now Bird Ensemble, for a very long time. In the beginning, no one got paid. We didn't have any money. A lot of people do stuff purely because they love it, and that was what motivated us to establish this group. Relying on singers that do it out of love is totally fine. But what happens when someone else hires your free singer? This love of singing, as mercenary as it sounds, is a finite resource that'll get tapped out once someone else starts offering money. It's just how the world works. It's true that even the best ensemble singers don't make enough money to pay rent or any relatively large expenses, but money is important. I work with several singers where their fee is such a small percentage of their overall earnings who still admit that being paid is important to them. So, if you like a singer, better find ways to lock them down. Can't use that franchise tag forever. There are other less mercenary reasons to find a way to pay singers. It furthers the professional music scene, promotes high-quality performances, and rewards good singers. I went to the UW and all the singers had their hearts set on becoming opera stars. How depressing this was to hear all these spectacular voices, only for a few to succeed. Having a good voice is a gift, and what if those singers dedicated their time to preparing their gift for the professional choral singing world? So, instead of training to make massive noises, they improved their sight reading and tuning, and focused on the business side of starting a professional group. We'd be in much better shape in the professional choral world. Too often I run into singers with amazing voices but cannot read music or sing in tune. What a waste.
I cannot express to you how much I envy them for their instrument. In the business of paying singers, there seem to be three models I'm hearing about. The first is converting a community choir to a paid choir, a kind of reverse tuition. I don't really understand how this works. The objective, at least in the way I see it, isn't to simply pay singers for the sake of paying them. It's to use money as a way to employ the best ones. I see this model as unsustainable. Some would say that retaining a sense of community is the primary goal. Well, this sounds like a costly way to do it. Say a hotshot singer wants to join, but doesn't seem like they want to participate in the communal aspects of the group. What happens then? The second model is one that pays only some of the singers. This is very similar to the design of many church choirs, where we pay section leaders to maintain some level of quality in the midst of volunteer singers. This is an accepted model in the church, as the choir has a responsibility to provide some level of music for the church. This, honestly, is the scariest of propositions. Paying some people, but not all? Who makes that decision? How does a singer become a paid one? It's a kind of one foot in the community choir world and one foot in the professional world. It's a model that promotes a kind of mediocre product by a mediocre community. I don't see the sense of that. The third model is a truly professional group, where the best singers are sought out and hired. Ideally, this kind of group is constantly scouting and willing to use the current best over the safe veteran. This is something I really like about Vox 16. While we are all friends and friendly to each other, the design of the group is such that I re-audition everyone every two years, allowing for new singers to audition and edge someone out, maybe. This element of competition is key. This isn't the first time I've voiced my support for professional choirs. Ever since I outed myself as a promoter of getting paid to sing, I've been experiencing, in Seattle's best passive-aggressive form, to shiz people say behind my back, some backlash. I occasionally find myself in a defensive position on this topic, and it makes me wonder, did the professional instrumental scene go through this kind of scrutiny as it got up and going? The act of simply talking about community choirs versus paid ones appears to be a source of anxiety. And it's mostly because we live in a choral world where many unpaid groups want to feel like they are in the best choir. So the unpaid ones who view themselves as professional-level amateur groups don't like being part of the community choir team. Understandably so, as being associated with a community choir group suggests an output of somewhat lesser quality. The fact is, and some may not like to hear this, that professional choirs are generally better than community choirs. Just as the same way professional basketball teams are better than college teams. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any exceptions. There are always exceptions. But generally speaking, choirs that have money to hire singers are better than those that can't. Again, I'm not saying that community choirs are useless. They are incredibly useful to some people, but there is a real distinction here in quality. Whether or not that distinction is useful in your branding of your choir, that's a different discussion. Recently, Bird Ensemble has taken out the, quote, professional 
mention from our bio. I'm thinking these days it's just best if you have some audio clips to demonstrate the quality rather than say it. Another useful reason to distinguish between the two is for business reasons. A community choir can depend on some considerable number of friends and family to generate ticket sales, or in some cases, on their own singers. I've heard of singers paying tuition to participate to being required to sell tickets. A professional choir can't depend on these same sources for revenue. They have more pressure to sell tickets and make their product appealing enough to some subset of the concert-going audience. They also have enormous business concerns and have to always think about branding, advertising, and delivering a good quality product. About quality. Let's imagine a community choir that has an unlimited number of rehearsals executing at nearly 100%. That being, they're singing all the right notes at the right time. That's a good benchmark, 100%. Professional choir can't do much better than that. So let's say in this stat both choirs are equal. Well, then what are we paying for? Well, you're paying for the voices. The voices in the choir are, in some ways, more important than the actual execution. They make up for the occasional wrong note here and there, and then some. That extra gear of beast mode in the basses, the beautiful overtone rich sound of the soprano, or the easy strain-free tenor singing isn't free. It is not free. There is one horrible drawback about forming a professional group in the purest sense. I hope it doesn't dissuade anyone from taking that leap to forming one. But that drawback is relinquishing our need to maintain community as a number one priority. Let me explain. Singing and performing together is an incredible bonding experience, unless you're a robot. The post-concert drinking to the rehearsal jokes all strengthen a sense of community. I've been so fortunate that most of the Bird Ensemble singers are also very dear friends to me. They've been committed to the vision of the group since the beginning, nearly ten years ago. The sad reality is that all our voices age and get worse. There will come a time where we won't be good enough to sing in our own group. And it's way harder to let go of a close friend than a stranger. We all talk candidly about how depressing that moment will be, and I think this talking about it is healthy. It's sort of a form of acceptance of this inevitable end to our singing careers. That's one thing I do like about Vox 16, is that it was set up more explicitly under the idea that each person's time in the group is very temporary. There's an expected turnover every two years, uh, an important element to the group. I'll probably never become as close to them as a whole, but welcoming the better singer will definitely be easier. It all sounds pretty cutthroat, I know, but there are groups out there that just hire their friends. I mean, that's doing nothing to furthering the culture of high-quality professional choral singers. There's no room for the best to be rewarded when you're rewarding your friends. I can't say that favoritism hasn't affected my decision-making from time to time, 
but I think I've done a pretty good job overall at taking in new good talent. I'm just saying it's so much easier to be objective when the director doesn't have personal relationships with the singers. If we want to live in a thriving, professional choral world here in the Northwest, it's going to have to start with people taking the risk and forming professional groups. You singers that are listening to this, interested in focusing on a particular area of music, it's up to you to take that step. If we can offer an abundance of work, we're bound to attract better singers to the area and perhaps influence colleges like the UW to provide some kind of useful preparation for such a singer. The time is now. We've got a ton of good singers out there who are drooling over the thought of getting paid doing something they love, and not that many paid choirs. When I put out a call for Vox 16 auditions, I auditioned over 70 people to fill only 16 slots, with the compensation only being an equal share of ticket sales, not a guaranteed fee amount. You might be wondering, well, how do I do such a thing? How do I start my own pro group? It's certainly easier said than done, but it's possible without much financial risk. This discussion, I think, deserves its own episode. If you aren't interested in starting one, but want to support one, I'd recommend donating to a professional choir of your choice. Your money is going towards employing singers and furthering the scene. Your financial support is the single most important thing you can give. Let's get a bunch of paid choirs going in the area. The more, the merrier. Thanks again for tuning in to this Choir Nerd podcast. Hope you'll follow me on Twitter or Facebook at uh, This Choir Nerd. And uh, also check out other episodes on my blog, uh, thischoirnerd.blogspot.com. All right, well, we'll see you next time.